0: Hello, my people, my poets, or my poetry appreciators. My last episode where I called up my friend Olivia Wolfe and heard a poem from her uh, got some really great feedback. A lot of people loving Olivia's poem, and so I decided that I would ask more of my friends who are poets to write poems, as well as sharing my own. So in a little while, I'm going to share a chat I had with my friend Marissa Niven. Marissa Neven, geez, I don't even know how to pronounce your last name, Marissa, which is bad. I've known you for a long time now. Feel free to correct me if you listen to this and think, ah, geez, got it so wrong. Either way, Marissa is a great poet and she wrote uh, a really beautiful poem which captures both the kind of despair of the moment as well as the persistency of hope. And I love that. But I did want to share a couple of poems that I've written at the beginning here Uh, If you're friends with me on Facebook, uh, you may have seen these. I have been posting these on Facebook and and a lot of people have been uh, responding really positively. And I've had some people actually ask, hey, can you like video yourself saying this poem or can you record um, these poems so we can hear you speak them in your voice? And I totally understand that. Um, Obviously, I'm a spoken word poet for a reason. Um, But yeah, I thought I'd just share a couple that I've shared recently that people have been connecting with. And um, if you want to see more of these, you know, add me on, on Facebook if you're not my friend already. Otherwise, I will be gradually kind of recording most, if not all of them, on these little special edition podcast episodes. So this is one I posted online that I wrote on the 30th of March. The parks are closed. Swings hang still. Dust gathers on the window sills of restaurants with doors now shut, Centrelink brims with the latest cuts, and I lay in bed to pen this poem, safe and fed, here at home, and I don't know what words to write, one minute everything feels alright, but sometimes a breath is all it takes, to feel the fear, to sense the weight, guilt that we don't suffer more, terror, that we might suffer more and being human is a fragile thing and we rest our trust on paper wings but their rays are thin and maybe life on a knife edge is always life and privilege is just another word for blind i wrote that one having one of those nights i don't know if you've had these where during the day i felt i felt fine i felt comfortable, and then suddenly I started to freak out about where work was going to come from, you know, a few months down the track, like I'm okay for now. But, you know, you kind of spiral into these thoughts about trying to future-proof and trying to have some level of security, but I kind of realized that maybe for most people on planet Earth, uh, they don't have the illusion of that kind of security that those of us in more developed economies sometimes have and yeah really thinking about this idea that actually our privilege blinds us to the true nature of life that life is fragile that we do live our lives on fragile paper wings the things that we often put our trust and hope in are often pretty fragile things like the economy or like certain job security or um, things that can fall apart really quickly and that can be a depressing sounding thought, but it can also be a pretty liberating thought, I think, when you realize that life is always fragile. And in this moment, our eyes have been opened to it, but we should never live with the arrogance that says that it's, that it's somehow all secure, that it's somehow guaranteed. I'm obsessed with the idea of grace. Every single day of the year is a gift that I receive Uh, it's not something that I have earned in any way. So here's another one. I wrote this one on the 5th of April. I put this on Facebook yesterday. I've been going to bed earlier, spending less money, sitting on the deck outside when it's sunny, writing more poems, calling more friends, thinking more about who I'll be when this ends. I've been reading more headlines, feeling more anxious, craving more wine, acting impulsive and restless. I get stuck in my mind when there's nowhere to run, and I wonder where I will be when it's done. In some ways I feel better, in other ways worse, and maybe the mix of the two just affirms I'm still broken and beautiful, like I was before. I'm still held by grace. No less and no more. So there you go. There are my two most recent poems for a pandemic. That one obviously being about the real mix of feeling like some things in life are better and easier right now and other things are more difficult and frustrating Maybe you can relate to those two things. And I often say to people, and I think I mentioned it in my chat with Marissa, that poetry is one of the places, I think, that can hold the tension uh, between our, our mixed human emotions and experiences. It's never one way, right? People ask, how are you going? It's never just a simple good or bad. We're always, often anyway, a pretty complex mix of good and bad, and it's complicated, I hope those poems connect with you, resonate with you. As always, feel free to send me a message, uh, hit me up. If you would like to write a poem yourself and you want to share that with me, I would love to read it uh, and I would love to potentially have a chat to you if you have something you want to share on, on this podcast. So here is my chat with my friend Marissa. I hope you enjoy it. Hey, Marissa. <laughs> How you going?
1: I'm good. I'm tired, but I'm good. How about you?
0: Yeah, I'm going pretty well. I'm pretty well, as as well as you can be during these strange times that we are living in.
1: Yes, it is an odd thing to try to adjust to.
0: Yes. Tell me a little bit about what it's looked like for you so far. What was life pre-COVID-19 looking like? And then uh, how's it look since, since it all kind of hit?
1: Okay. Have you seen there's a meme that's going around at the moment where it's like, did anyone else just have their life together and then the world just went to shit? <laughs> that was kind of me. Yeah. So I had just gotten my first job. I had had like two weeks of working there, and then all of this just sort of came up, and so I've been home since. And it's just like this weird little like return to the middle ground, yeah. like back to sort of. It's almost like I'm unemployed, but I'm not. It's very odd.
0: Yeah. So, And you had just finished uni, like you studied for like four or five years or something. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so
1: I'm crazy like that. I think, yeah, six years.
0: Six years. Six years. And you finally were like in in a job that you were like, you know, really stoked to be starting. And
1: then yep. <laughs> <it works laughs> and this in. all happened.
0: Oh, man.
1: Yeah. So that was a fun time. <laughs> but. Weirdly enough, it hasn't actually been that much of a shift for me just because, like, beforehand, my last year of study was online, and mm-hmm. so I was a bit, I turned into a bit of a homebody anyway. Right. And so now I'm just back to being at home all the time. <laughs> so it's not too bad. Like, it's, I do miss the freedom, but like, it's kind of one of those things where it's like once you're told you can't do something, you want to do it so much more.
0: Yes, that's very true.
1: Yeah, you know, like, before I wouldn't probably go out that much but now I'm just like I want to take a road trip
0: (laughs) yeah the forbidden fruit
1: a hundred percent it makes so much more appealing
0: (laughs) yeah that's true it is weird because I often think usually like when life is busy it's easy to crave like a week at home just just vegging out not having to leave the house not having to see people Sure, a lot of people can relate to like feeling that craving when life is busy and crazy, particularly if you're an introvert. But I'm an extrovert, and I even feel like that sometimes. Oh, definitely. But then it's like it gets forced on you, and it's like sort of could be this gift if you had the right mindset. But if you if it's not what you're desiring or expecting, then it doesn't doesn't really feel like a gift.
1: Absolutely, I'm sort of in similar. I'm an ambivert by nature, so I'm like half half. All right, and so. Like for the first week or two, it was great because I'm like, oh, getting that social recharge in, leaning into it. And now after a while, I'm like, hmm, this kind of sucks.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, in the middle of it, I have been asking my poet friends to write poems with me
1: because yeah. I found that
0: helpful. And you are one of my poet friends, yeah. which is great. I love I love all my poet friends very much.
1: And we love you, Will.
0: Oh, thank you. That's very kind <laughs> of me. Well, I challenged you guys to write a poem for the pandemic. Indeed, you did, and you took up the challenge.
1: <laughs> you did, in fact. I'm pretty sure you gave us a deadline by that night, and I was talking to another poet friend of ours, and it was about 11:30, and we both hadn't written anything. So we we're like, "Oh, you can't let will down. We have to do it."
0: <laughs> so good. It's
1: very. It's a really good motivation.
0: Awesome, awesome. So, before writing this poem, had you been doing much writing?
1: Not really. I think it was, one of those, again, one of those times where I suddenly had all the time in the world to write and I haven't been able to. This just, like, writer's block went up hard. But I managed to write, like, a couple of small one-liners, little things, that kind of thing, but nothing, nothing complete, which mm-hmm. is annoying. Yeah.
0: Well, you've written something. It's complete. I've read it. I love it. But I want to hear you, <laughs> and I'm sure other people want to hear you, read it in your own voice. <laughs>
1: Well, I will certainly do that. (laughs) Excellent. Okay, so it's called The Hopeful Tom. Surreal. Definition. Having the qualities of surrealism. Example. To live through a time where you know history will look back on whilst doing nothing noteworthy, and yet in doing so, making history. This situation is surreal to me. You got people too scared to go into the streets, while neighbors ignore fears and say cheers to breaking the rules, you'll find no social distancing here. Shopping aisles turn to fight clubs. City streets to forgotten to forgotten histories. Pharmacies look like crime scenes, taped up because the visual makes it impossible to ignore the new boundaries. Maybe that's why there's a reminder on every screen. News headlines, news headlines never change, just the numbers do. And it's easy to forget that each number is a name, and each name is a person, and each person is a story. A story with an unsatisfying end. And still we have leaders who manage to pretend that things aren't so bad. I wonder. Do they see the same news we do? Do they see their people dropping in the streets? Hear the pleas of their doctors to help them? Or do they only care about who can buy the best publicity and make profits from tragedy? And And as is the way with tragedy, she brought her brother rage. Angrily, he searches for someone to blame for his sister's grief. But blame is a funny thing. For rage... Leads to blame and blame leads to rage, and all too soon, tragedy is born again and anew. And I fear for the people who those grieving will blame. A two year old stabbed in a parking lot can attest to that. Drowning in the pains of the world and the ignorance and the grief, it's easy to believe that hope she has left us. But ask Pandora what remains. When the box is opened and the evils have been unleashed, hope still stays a quiet but steady light to fight the fright of perpetual night and in this way we look, past the world of a, we look past the noise of a world in panic and find the hopeful calm. We find it in the music played from balconies in cities closed down but never forgotten. In the wild eyes of nature as she sends her children to reclaim what we have borrowed. In the skies, clear for the first time and how and who knows how many years. In the smiles of children, reminders of innocence still safe from all of this. And with our quiet, hopeful calm, we wait for this to pass. But while the steer may be loud, it is heart's whose music
0: laughs. Hey. Oh, so good, Marissa. <laughs> I love this poem, and it was really special to hear you actually read it. You know, it's part of what I love about spoken word. Like, it's great to read the poem uh, just on Facebook, but to hear you kind of put your own voice into it is a special thing. But one of the things <laughs> I really love about it is it, it feels like it really holds like the the absolute most difficult to look at parts of the situation as well as it holds these reminders of the most beautiful and hope-filled things that we see. Oh. And it kind of holds both at once. That's one of the things I love <laughs> about good poetry. Like it can, it can feel all the feelings in the same breath.
1: That's a very good way of describing poetry. But thank you. I appreciate that.
0: Welcome. How did it feel for you? Like, tell me a little bit about your process of writing it. How you felt while you were writing it. Was it hard to write? Did it come easily? Just yeah, what was um, a little bit of the mental process there?
1: Well, I was sort of trying to think of. Normally, when I write poetry, I tend to like grab onto a feeling that tends to that tends to be like the starting point for me. And I was trying to think of like what I'm feeling in all of it. and it is it, it ended up it definitely ended up being that surrealism feeling mm. because it's like. It's ridiculous. Because I'll be sitting at home and everything feels completely normal but then the news will come on and you see this horrible news coming out of Europe you know, coming out of Europe or like even just like New York and that kind of thing and you hear the numbers and it's just like, Oh my god it's just overwhelming horribleness. Mm. But the second that you can turn off the news, it's almost really easy to of like to emotionally distance yourself from that mm. when it's not directly affecting you. So it's this weird, like, surrealism of, like, the world is in turmoil, but my little bubble is okay, but only because I'm doing my part, and it's just, like, whoa. And so I sort of started with that, that's why I started with that surrealism, like, the straight-up definition, because that's what it is. And then it's sort of, like, from there, it's, like, it's hard to ignore all the bad things that's coming up from all of this, because it is a ridiculously strange time. Mm. And it's also really weird to be living in a, period of time where you know it's going to be written about and like yeah. in a few years time when all of this is done with, people are going to be like, oh yeah remember that time where you couldn't leave the house? And it's like, yeah, that was weird <laughs> but at the same time I think it's one of those beautiful and horrible things about humanity where in the terrible tragedies that have come up, you'll see the horrible things that happen like that Asian American, I think it was in America where that Asian American family got attacked and including that two-year-old who got stabbed But at the same time, you see that dichotomy of humanity because you see all these beautiful things coming out of it. Mm. Like the people in Venice all playing music and like the fact that because there's less pollution, you can see the Eiffel Tower from London now. It's ridiculous. Like it's craziness. And so it's sort of like there's little hopeful pockets that you've got to like find and hold on to. That's why I sort of wanted to round out that poem. was like, yeah, but for all of that, there's still... Good little pockets to like hold on to in this and i think that hope is always that thing that stops you from getting too overwhelmed by all the bad
0: yeah for sure oh, that's beautiful yeah i think you're very good at this Marissa. like i i know your <laughs> other poem called good days and bad days is yeah. another really great example of kind of using poetry to take people to the the worst while reminding them of the best at the same time it actually, yeah because i yeah, for me, it reminds me like I'm a, I'm a pastor, so I speak at a church and things like that. And, you know, there's this whole book in the, the ancient Hebrew Bible called Psalms. And the Psalms mm. are pretty much just poems that do the same thing. Like they, they are poems that are kind of angry with God while declaring God's goodness or they're poems that are kind of, yeah, going to the depths while remaining hopeful at the same time. So I kind of oh, feel wow, like really this cool. is, it's like this ancient human tradition of wrestling with what it means to be human and to be able to somehow remind ourselves in our darkest times that there is hope and light and beauty but also to be able to hold the two at once because if we don't do that, if we kind of ignore one side, then we're not really being, it, it is that kind of think about your lines about surrealism and when mm. we notice the surrealism, we can actually kind of consciously get back in touch with reality, which is yeah, a sort of mixed bag. And so that's actually, to be fully human, there's something about you got to be able to feel the, the wound and the hope at the same time.
1: Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. That's a really good way of putting it. Well, that's kind of like what got me thinking about like with the little Pandora reference with like, that whole story, which is like she opens a box that she gets told not to. Because of her human curiosity, and it releases all the evils into the world. But the thing that stayed in the box was hope, mm. just to remind humanity that you know you still have that. And that was kind of yeah. And it sort of reminds me of when you were talking. It reminded me of that again. Because yeah, it's very. I feel like it's a very human experience to sort of see the bad and see the the crappiness of it all, but still keep going through it because that that belief of like the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah,
0: yeah. for sure. So. When you, Marissa, are like, I don't know, 70 years old (laughs) and grandkids are asking you about how you lived through the COVID-19 pandemic, what kind of stories do you want to be able to tell them about how you lived through it? Because I think about, Mm. you know, like there's obviously like the big reference point that I think about at the moment is something like the Great Depression. And I don't know what it was like to live through the Great Depression, but I know that, but people that did, they they actually were, you know, there was these incredible stories of resourcefulness and yeah. of kind of tapping into that human capacity, um, yeah, to, to survive through a time like that. But I wonder for you, like as you think about, yeah, when you look back on this decades from now, mm-hmm. what would you want to say about how you lived through it?
1: Oh, good question, good question. Um, I think that I'd want to say... That one thing I did the right thing, and that I like heeded the warnings and stayed away from people. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like, I think if I could come up with a moral of the story that I would learn from an experience I'm going through to tell them in the future, if you're with me there, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that I would tell them like the, the the real, the real story, like the real, like lesson to be learned here kind of like sometimes you've got to go through the nitty-gritty that you don't want to do in order to reach the better things later on Mm. and so it's kind of like that where it's just like i want to go out and see my friends i want to go out and go to the shops and walk around like nothing's wrong i want to go down to the waterfront just like relax for a bit but i live at home with my parents and they both have underlying health issues and there's no way in hell that i'm going to put them at risk for 10 minutes of my own enjoyment you know what i mean Mm. so i'd rather just sort of do the slightly less enjoyable thing. of like oh, okay, I'll just rewatch Brooklyn Nine Nine again, kind of thing, mm-hmm. rather than going out and like having that little mental escape of going to the to the waterfront, like I tend to. So that way, I can make sure that they're staying safe. And so I think it's one of those lessons of like sometimes you gotta take something on the chin mm. and like not so much deprive yourself or like you know like, don't go and do that thing that you want to do just so that way you can. Make sure the people you care about, and also it's like the strangers that you don't know are like saying safe. And I think that's the other thing is like finding little ways that you can help other people. So I want to be able to find other little ways to help other people in this. Mm. If even if it's just like helping someone out with recording with like buying that extra grocery item that they need but they can't buy because of the limits, like those little things. Yeah. Sometimes I can make someone's entire day within within the world going through something like this. Making someone safe could you're making their life. So, it's, it's kind of an interesting little mixed bag at the moment where you can't do much, but you can do little things that could be huge things for, for other people.
0: Yeah, I love what you just shared. What I heard was that you are thinking longer term than shorter term. You're thinking about the greater good that involves some temporary sacrifice, but is good in the long term. Yeah. You're thinking about others before yourself. You're thinking, yeah, I could go down to the waterfront and be fine, but I love. Not only my parents, but I love, you know, the strangers that might be vulnerable yeah. that I don't know. And then you're also thinking how you can be generous and kind in kind of unexpected ways to this time uh, that, that might really bring more of that hope to people. So all of that is awesome, Marissa. Like that's, if, if you are telling the story to your grandkids of that's how you lived through this, then I reckon that that's probably the best kind of story you could possibly tell about going through a time <laughs> like this.
1: Well, thank you. Well, hopefully. We'll see how it all goes. But I'm not going to like saying those, like, oh, but like you never know. Next week I might turn curl. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but
0: um,
1: you're yeah, not. You. It should be good.
0: Yeah, awesome. Well, thanks for having a chat and sharing your poem. And keep Probably writing. I, I encourage you, you know, w- write a poem today, all right? I'll give you another deadline. That seemed to help. So <laughs> by by midnight tonight.
1: All right. I'll try to have something written. Cool. Okay. Honestly, deadlines are the best way for me to work.
0: <laughs> they are very helpful.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for this. This has been awesome.
0: Yeah, thank you.
1: Well, have an excellent day. Bye.
0: You too. You too. Bye. Huge thank you to Marissa for sharing that poem. And I uh, hope you got something out of listening to, to Marissa and to the poems I shared earlier in this episode. Uh, I feel really grateful to be able to still spend time at the moment doing creative things like this, and that is partly due to my Patreon community. I want to give a massive shout-out um, to the people that support me on Patreon, uh, to Dylan Nunn, Grant Maloney, Jack Berry, Jess Henderson, Joe Watson, Joel Small, Christopher Halliday, Mariko Conno, and Nicola Morley. Um, these incredible people uh See value in my art and have decided to give a monthly um, a monthly amount that they choose, basically uh, to support the creation of this podcast. And uh, they get a few little benefits, but really, um, it's actually just them choosing to invest in um, my artwork as a creative. So, huge thanks to you guys. Um, if that is something that you are interested in doing, um, obviously, like many people in the creative industries, due to COVID-19 I've lost uh, gigs and and various kind of um, creative opportunities and so um, I totally recognize that many people aren't in a position to give right now and I wouldn't want to ask you to do that if you're not but if you're someone who has uh, secure income and you have been getting value out of these episodes or out of the poems that I've been posting on Facebook or um, you know these kind of interviews with other artists and creatives then you are most welcome to sign up to become a patron at patreon.com slash willsmall. In fact, if you actually sign up there for um, $5 a month, I will send you a copy of my Poetic Beings book, which normally costs, uh, I think, $25 on my website with postage. But if you sign up on Patreon, at 5 bucks a month, I just send you a copy and then you can cancel your Patreon whenever. A bit of a life hack there potentially, but... I mean, hopefully your motives are good. If you're signing up, you want to support an artist. But the more people I have on there, the more time I can spend on, on projects like this that are kind of no strings attached, um, creativity uh, for the sake of it, hopefully for the sake of spreading love and hope and inspiration during a time like this, but also just during any time, right? We always need our artists and, and poets and creatives. So thank you so much to my existing patrons. And if you want to jump on there, it's patreon.com slash willsmall. Otherwise, I'll be hitting you soon with another episode. And uh, thanks for being a part of this Poetic Beings community.